Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, the show about the critical contextualization and analysis of Homestuck. Uh, I'm Michael, and with me is Cameron. Yep. No, no, uh, uh, special sound effects to, to bring to bear here. Huh? Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Why is uh, Gamesy doing all these murders? Oh, my God. Uh, Wait, I guess you should probably do the summary before we answer <laughs> the question. But I don't, I, just, I don't know why, other than, well, we'll do the summary. Just, just, uh, you, just okay, yes. You know how I'll excited I get to talk about my favorite character and the most important character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do a summary. <clears throat> In the lab, Carcat receives an ominous warning from Doc Scratch advising him not to turn his back on the body. This doesn't seem to mean anything, because the bodies aren't doing squat. Gamzee then messages Carcat with some unfortunate news. After running out of soper slime pies, the troll equivalent of weed, and being confronted with the cosmic inanity of the insane clown posse, Gamzee has utterly snapped and is ready to assume his legacy as the last of Alternia's brutal enforcer cast, the Subjugulators. He vows to murder all of his friends, confident in the belief that he is somehow both of the mirthful messiahs his evil religion has long foretold. Meanwhile, as Terezi is off mourning the alt-dave she got killed, she discovers Tavaris's corpse, and immediately and correctly suspects Vriska has gone rogue. She and Karkat attempt to resurrect Tavros and Kanaya, respectively, with the kiss maneuver, only to discover this doesn't work when the player's dream selves are dead. Abruptly, the scene shifts to the climax of the 1991 Steven Spielberg film Hook, where the headstrong leader of the Lost Boys, Rufio, played by Dante Bosco, is stabbed by Dustin Hoffman's devious Captain Hook. Andrew Hussey, filling in for the part originally played by Robin Williams as Peter Pan, screams in horror and begs Rufio not to die, leaning in for a mournful yet hopeful kiss. The narrative informs us that this is stupid, and transitions to a confused John watching the described scene on the clouds of Skya. While wandering the battlefield, John finds Dad's wallet, which grants him a new fetch modus with an incredible carrying capacity, holding not just a ton of pipe tobacco and shaving cream, but an entire backup car. John uses his windy powers to levitate the car into the air and fly around the battlefield, accompanied by W.V., who's been hanging out with John since witnessing his resurrection. John is eager to find Dad and is told by Jade that he is with Rose's mom in a castle somewhere on the battlefield. Carcat flees the lab with an unconscious Solix and contacts Equius, ordering him to take out Gamzee. Terezi, meanwhile, returns to the lab, where she does not notice Kanaya's body is now missing, but discovers Feferi's corpse with mysterious bite marks on the neck. Terezi immediately and incorrectly concludes that Vriska has developed a literal thirst for blood. Elsewhere, Nepeta and Equius chat about the loss of Aradia and engage in some friendly role-playing before Equius sends Nepeta into the ducts of the lab for her own safety while he seeks out Gamzee. When he finds him, Gamzee orders Equius to kneel, to observe his place in the hierarchy of troll society. Equius, uncharacteristically, does not comply, and Gamzee shoots an arrow through his leg, bringing him to the ground, then uses the string of the bow to garrote Equius. 
Equius, delighted to be finally put in his place by someone higher on the hemospectrum, dies with a smile on his face. Not so for Nepeta, who watched all of this and now leaps from the ductwork to fight Gamzee. He easily disables her, using her claws to mutilate his own face, before beating her to death with juggling clubs. Karkat reflects on how pointless everything he's done seems, including creating and sending back ectobiological clones of his friends to ensure their existence. He's also troubled by the fact that he created a set of an additional 12 Wigglers, whom we can surmise became the troll's ancestors. Remember when I mentioned that last partisode? Solix wakes up, now blind, but extremely cheerful without the voices of the doomed crowding his every thought. He chats with Terezi, suggesting she come find him and Karkat so they can defend themselves against the others, but Terezi stops responding after she mentions something bright is approaching. John searches for his dad on the battlefield and is contacted by Vriska, who is feeling melancholy after killing Tavros. Troll society, she explains, would have considered her in the right, and Tavros deserving of his death, and she wonders if part of the reason the trolls failed their game was that they did not indulge their bloodlusts more frequently. She recounts how, when she was small, she was initially nervous to go out and round up other troll children for her spider mom to eat. However, Vriska discovered a diary belonging to her ancestor, the fearsome and ruthless pirate Mindfang, on whom she modeled her LARPing character and indeed, her entire brutal power gaming outlook on life. John remarks that he sees some parallels in how he followed his Nana's example by becoming an incredible prankster. Unable to find his dad, but assured by Vriska that he will, John decides to acquire the tumor for Rose, but doesn't know how to get to the core of the planet. Vriska advises him to cheat, and so he uses his wind powers to drill through the planet's surface, mildly disturbing the nearby castle where Mom and Dad are on a dinner date while being surveilled by Jack Noir. In the past, Dave hangs out in the apartment before being messaged by Aradia. Soon, however, things go awry, and Aradia shows up in her god-tier uniform to explain that Dave is dead and this is a dream bubble. But hold up! The dead Dave is not the Alpha Dave, but the alternate doomed Dave killed by Jack. Aradia explains that the Dream Bubbles are the game's afterlife, where dead players can wander through their own and others' memories and basically hang out with each other. She has taken it upon herself to be a welcoming presence and guide for the recently deceased, and Tavros appears to confess his admiration for the embarrassed Dave. Aradia clarifies that though the others are dead, she is still very much alive and intends to stay that way. Vriska reviews Mindfang's journal, which provides the narrative text to a mixture of ancestor flashbacks and contemporary parallel plot lines. What happened was this. Mindfang was in a heated rivalry with the aristocratic captain Orphaner Dualscar, Aridin's ancestor, and after she got the best of him one too many times, he sought revenge by murdering Mindfang's favored sex slave, implied to be Kanaya's ancestor. Dualscar then attempted to bring the force of the subjugulators against Mindfang, but they executed him for being unfunny. Their leader, the Grand Highblood and Gamzee's ancestor, nevertheless tasked a novice legislacerator named Redglare, Terezi's ancestor, to hunt down and prosecute Mindfang. In the present, Terezi awakens with bite marks on her neck. In the journal, Mindfang looks forward to the coming duel with Redglare, as Gamzee, Aridin, and Vriska are caught in a three-way showdown.
Then Kanaya, who turns out to be not dead, and also a rainbow drinker, which is what vampires are called on Alternia, runs out of nowhere, glowing with bioluminescent white light, which is what vampires do on Alternia because it's opposite world, and also, this is 2011 and it's a Twilight joke. She kicks Gamzee in the crotch and sends him soaring off a ledge, punches Vriska in the face, and bisects Aridin with her chainsaw. We suddenly transition to Jack Noir, who has just killed Mom and Dad, and he ponders what to do next. The command we can read, but not yet click, is tantalizing. Jack, accessorize immediately. Yep. So yeah, Gamzee, huh? Uh, uh, let me just, let me just quote something here. Uh, let Gamzee have his moment. Cameron Kunzelman, Homestuck Made This World, Episode 5, Part 1. Yeah, he got his moment, huh? Mm-hmm. He, he got it. <laughs> we got a bunch of them. <laughs> I don't know why he's having his moment, though. I, I was a little confused. Is this... Well, let me let me pitch why I think it's happening. You tell me if it's right or not. How about that? Okay. It's always good to have a little bit of speculation and suspense here. Mm-hmm. I think Gamzee is doing murders because... What, who, who showed him Juggalos? Dave? Yes. Dave showed him the insane clown posse, ICP mm-hmm. themselves. And he realized that uh, his life was meaningless and valueless because his future past gods that he both produced and was produced by um, were a, a sham. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they are they are insufficient. They are a mockery of, of that which could be the, the platonic clown god. And uh, that made him go uh, big boohoos. Mm-hmm. And then he murdered everybody. Uh, yeah, you're not incorrect. Okay. Um, we are going to get a conversation, uh, uh, in a bit, uh, later on, uh, where Gamzee is going to talk a little bit about, about his motivations quite explicitly. Um, mm. and you're, you're not far off. I'm sorry for like, you know, shutting down the possibility space for the listeners out there who, uh, just a- anything could happen from your perspective if you haven't read this comic, I guess. But yeah, yeah. You're, well, you're- I thought maybe it had already been in the comic and I just misunderstood it because there <laughs> is a long discussion here. Mm-hmm. The reason I came to that conclusion is on it's on thirty three fifty eight. He's talking to Carcat, mm-hmm. you know, and he's kind of saying some of the stuff. But I just wanted to make sure I wasn't misreading it. Yeah, no. So uh, a, an interesting thing here is that Gamzee, uh, his typing quirk has been alternating. Uh, it's been camel case, right? Alternating mm-hmm. capitalized and uncapitalized uh, letters. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very whimsical. Very uh, like. 2000s like scene kid uh whatever like mm-hmm. yeah uh when Gamzee changes um uh he starts separating out capitals and non-capitals right capitals and lowercase uh so he'll do them in alternating lines and it's implied that he is like speaking in two different uh voices or modalities uh when equius runs into him at the end of the little flash equius seek the high blood it is actually uh like equius says something like i like i can't hear you because you keep whispering every other thing you're saying so like he's like say like i mean here's here's the the conversation right um uh like carcat is like he's he's uh joyous that gamzee is getting in touch with him because gamzee's been kind of like off missing he doesn't know where he is um and uh gamzee says shut up and uh, carcat says what and he says i said shut the motherfuck up motherfucker honk 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 smiley face dude are you okay you're really weirding me out. Ha 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 ha. 
Uh, yeah. I guess I'm all motherfucking weirded out to, at some extent to my own motherfucking self. Like, uh, sort of, like, big swings in personality from, like, line to line. Um, Inside us all are is a uh, shaggy chew dope in a violent chain. Yeah. <laughs> and they were at war with one another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. He eventually, yeah, is this the, um, I've been kicking the wicked ignorance on this shit. Been motherfucking slaughtering the wicked ignorance, bro. All up in lifelong denial about my calling. As a descendant of the high motherfucking subjugulators. We are higher than you, brother. We are higher than motherfucking everybody. Honk. And now I'm the last one. So I finally motherfucking understand. I finally got my motherfucking understand on to who the mirthful messiahs are. They were always both me, smiley face, and also motherfucking me, unhappy face. And motherfucking now... I am going to motherfucking kill all you motherfuckers and paint the wicked pictures with your motherfucking blood. From your veins will drip my miracles. Your crushed bones will make my special stardust. Welcome to the dark carnival, brother. How boring. (laughs) My sweet, beautiful boy. What's happened to you? They've massacred my boy. (laughs) He was so so pure. Mm -hmm. And now they've turned him into a cartoon character of a cartoon character. When I just liked him as his original cartoon character version. So... A uh, funny thing, uh, this is one of the one of the uh, little bits of Homestuck that Hussey, uh, and this comes up in the book commentary, like, I planned this, like, really far ahead. Like, I told someone, a friend of mine, uh, like, four <laughs> months before it happened. Uh, I wrote it down on a note, and yes. I put it in a self-addressed uh, envelope, and I mailed it to myself to have the date <laughs> printed on it. Yeah. Here's so, a photograph of me holding that image of, of Gamzee as an evil murderer, and also today newspaper (laughs) specifically right uh uh, hussy claims like i told my friend yeah in four months gamzee's going to go crazy and beat nepeta to death with juggling clubs oh lord right so i mean sure okay if you told me that about something you were doing i would not be your friend anymore michael well, it if would you be were, very weird you because you'd be like, Michael, why are you reproducing precisely a plot beaten Homestuck in your next no. Twine game? <laughs> if you produced a sweet, beautiful boy who is a long form juggalo joke and you were like, I'm going to go wicked violent on this shit. I would say, Michael, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> You've turned us both into clowns. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, people people have reactions to this, as you might expect. <laughs> Is this why uh, Hussey has only appeared in clown makeup since this moment? Well, partly because they they beclownified themselves. That's what. So the follow up to Homestuck is a visual novel called Psycholonials. Mm-hmm. Um, that is in in true kind of hussy fashion. Uh, takes some stuff from old work and then like reconfigures it and then elaborates it uh, in kind of a different direction. And one of the things that happens in Psycholonials is uh, this may be a bonus episode in the future, but it is about a a young woman who uh, is kind of as a joke uh, trying to become an Instagram influencer and decides to do this. Uh, she is going to like uh, make up a clown religion. And then accidentally ends up starting a clown cult where people start taking this way more seriously than she thought she would. And then she ends up being an unwilling and reluctant cult leader. Wow. Yeah. And so Hussey for promotional work for this uh, was uh, wearing like clown Sona. This is a thing that comes out of Psycholonials, your clown Sona, uh, wearing uh, the D-Clussy 
uh, that is the name of the character Clown Sona Makeup and in doing various uh, Instagram style like influencer photo shoots. Hmm. Yes. Great. Mm hmm. Okay, right. continue. Anyway, so people have reactions to Gamesy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, people have reactions to Gamesy. There's a lot of uh, people saying, like, uh, one of the uh, critiques that's coming up, especially in the Something Awful thread, but also is clearly kind of filtering in from, like, Tumblr and uh, other parts of the, the fandom, um, is that all of these character shifts with, like, Aridin becoming murderous and now Gamsey, um feel like they're just coming out of nowhere. It just feels random. Uh, and Hussey is saying on Forum Spring, none of this is random. All of this was planned. All of this like served a purpose. And in the case of Gamzee specifically, um, the argument made is that Gamzee was always intended to do this. Like Gamzee was going to be a character who got introduced like as a joke and then became extremely plot important uh, in a certain way by undergoing like a uh, huge shift in personality. And this is uh, derived from Gamzee's uh, little chat handle, which is terminally capricious, right? Uh-huh. So one of the things that Hussey says in like author commentary uh, and I think on the forum spring is that like the, the chat handles were kind of used as guideposts for how to characterize these people. Um, and so terminally capricious for Gamzee, meaning, you know, terminal, meaning like, you know, to death or to the ending and then capricious, like, uh, selfish given to, to changes in, in flights or moods, uh, uh, fancies. So like, you know, rapidly shifting into just like murder mode as it is called for Gamzee, right? Gamzee engage murder mode, the callback to the, the hero mode joke, uh, mm -hmm. for Hussey, this was all designed, apparently all intended, right? Like, Hussey wanted to have this character happen in this way and have whatever effect it happened, I guess, in the way that it happened. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's a weird choice, I guess. Right. I remember reading this live and being like, well, I mean, I can understand like wanting to to like winnow down the cast of characters here. Right. And, and sort of like start narrowing things. Um, but this is a really unusual way to do it, an unusually confrontational way to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. with with the the reader base, not that you can't kind of do with what you want with your fictional characters, but um, intentionally writing a character uh in one way in order to flip them in this way, like that's a that's an authorial power move, and it's worth thinking like, <laughs> what are the consequences of such a thing? What we might call a hard move. Uh huh. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean the consequences are now like I am deeply distrustful. Of the whole operation. Mm-hmm. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, juggalo mode. Engage. <laughs> um, I mean, the other Would thing... you say that Gamzee is jokerized? Uh, isn't the <laughs> Joker think... Gamzee-fied? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Within ah! the logic of Homestuck? <laughs> <laughs> what if a clown loved to do murders? Uh, hmm. Yeah, uh, it is really funny. There was a lot of Batman stuff in this, right? Mm -hmm. So like Gamesy's Jokerfication, Terezi's uh, Two Facefication. Yes, <laughs> she has to like pursue justice with her like little coin. Uh, in yep. the last part episode, we didn't touch on it, but I love the the part where uh, it's implied that like or like Dave says something about like her Two Face coin, and she's like, "I don't like it when you call it that because I don't know what it is." <laughs> And he's like, uh, Two-Face is a Batman villain who flips a coin to make bad decisions or something. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, yeah. uh, but the, anyway. Oh, the other so thing we don't about, have a good... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, gamesy. Yeah, well, just one other thing I think uh, worth noting about Terminally Capricious um, mm-hmm. and how this maybe fits into the overall Homestuck uh, aesthetic and I think actually into the MS Paint Adventures aesthetic. Uh, what is the thing that starts us on MS Paint Adventures? Of, like, what is it other than a capricious terminal? Right. What what early on you called the genie logic of of mm-hmm. this thing where like the conceit is you are typing a command into uh, the story and the story is either going to like make something good happen or it's going to like m- intentionally and like obtusely misparse you in a way that something really bad happens. Right. This kind of either or this bifurcation thing. Um, mm. And in some weird way and like hussy doesn't even say any of this right hussy is not saying this in in the commentary not in the form spring um but it's one of those things where for from my perspective as kind of the outside reader uh it's like man like that's something like to have this character who seems to embody like a, a kind of like basic impulse of like whatever the hell this project is uh and have it be embodied in such a, a weird and ugly way yeah juggalo yeah. Who does murders. Uh-huh. And it I you know, I was trying to kind of figure out like there feel it feels like uh oh, you know, I guess it is the Joker. Mm-hmm. There's some real the Dark Knight uh returns Joker in Gamesy. Like the kind of turn oh, so oh, oh, you the know, comic The Dark Knight Returns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dark Knight Returns uh comic, the Frank Miller comic, right? Mm-hmm. Because that that's a Joker who is like uh, kind of like beautifully in love, right? And like, you know, uh, uh, lots of content warnings on uh, going and reading The Dark Knight Returns and its sequels and knowing about Frank Miller and his kind of like, um, oh, extremely hard right turn mm-hmm. after uh, 9-11 in particular. I mean, he was always kind of, you know, right there, but, you know, he took an explicit, uh, extremely far right turn. Uh, so if you go digging around in there, you just need to be aware of what's up. But um but, you know, Dark Knight Returns, hugely, hugely influential on kind of comics and comics culture and, you know, the grim darkification, quote unquote. You know, I, I don't feel particularly comfortable with that uh, broad brush painting, but a lot of people, you know, point to the Dark Knight uh, Returns for that. But anyway, so that's a Joker who is like in love with Batman. He's a big scamp, mm-hmm. right? And there's a moment, spoilers for that, but the Joker is killed or mm-hmm. dies. He is not killed because Batman won't kill, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Joker is like uh, paralyzed and in his last moments of like, uh, you know, existence before being caught, before anything, he like spins his own neck around, breaking his own neck. Mm hmm. It's like it's some wild stuff yes. that occurs, <laughs> right? But but to me that was that's very much the kind of like affective register that is going on when when uh, Gamzy like drags those claws across his face or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's like we have hit this character is at a point where you're like oh shit, and then it dials it up even another notch, right? Of like mm-hmm. the whatever is going on with this character is so extreme, so beyond the pale, so within this like cartoon madness you know evilness whatever that it's going to just keep accelerating and that that very much in the dark knight returns is like what happens there and it kind of changes the whole uh relationship with batman and things like that but um i felt you know there's something going on there with like um you know the stakes being turned up it's also very kind of like anime vibey right Mm -hmm. like um especially like the way that it's depicted and shot you know in the last part episode not shot depicted and drawn 
Uh, last part of Zode, you know, I was talking about, huh, I think that a lot of the um, uh, artistic, you know, flourishes that I've uh, uh, mostly been interested in Homestuck, they had gone away. Well, this part of Zode, they're all back. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of, like, really decompressed action that happens here around some of these games you murders um, that, that are pretty interesting. Um, but then disappear entirely when we're back to like John doodling around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So someone writes into the forum spring, uh, what is it exactly that makes Gamzee so powerful? Hussey responds, primarily evil clown power, I guess. Great. Like, <laughs> I just, I love that as a response. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that is the response. I, right? I, uh, like I, I, you know, you, you, you listen to me read these form spring responses. You listen to me read the commentary and it might seem that I'm just like reading things that I hate. Uh, and there are things here that irritate me, but like it, let it not be, uh, uh, ignored that Hussey actually makes me laugh really frequently <laughs> just by say primarily evil clown power, I guess it's the same phenomenon that makes the Joker the most dangerous Batman villain. He's just a stupid guy in a purple suit who thinks murder is funny and stuff. Why can't people just shoot him? He gets away with everything. Evil clown powers might be the most dangerous powers a villain can have for this reason. <laughs> I, yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> I just think that is such a funny response. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so uh, we've got evil, evil clown Gamzee. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's happened. He's become the most important character in Homestuck, apparently. Um, and... Weird. People are like, wow, weird. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, especially with the way that he kills um, uh, Equius, right? <laughs> because Equius, uh, uh, like, gets basically erotically strangled to death. He does. He seems like he's having a good time there at the end, maybe. Yeah. I didn't know how to read that facial expression. Yeah. I, I've said before also that I think Equius is an extremely funny character, and I, I still think that this is true. <laughs> Because all of his interactions, we didn't really talk about this, but all of his interactions are, like, uh, predicated on his weird fetishistic uh, uh, adherence to, like, the, the troll caste system, where mm -hmm. if he's talking to someone who is below him, he's, like, saying, like, you should, you should be doing this, this, and this. I'm commanding you as your, as your superior. Um, and then when the other person says, like, you know, buzz off, usually, like, Karkat or someone, he's like, you shouldn't speak back to me like that. But, like, there's some sort of, like, strange thrill about it, isn't there? Being spoken back to by my subordinate. Like, why don't you, like, more forcefully tell me to, to, to get fucked? Um, and if he's talking to someone, like, higher than him, uh, he's also constantly ordering them about, ordering them around about proper behavior, but then also, like, apologizing and supplicating himself. He's just, like, constantly flipping back and forth. Again, right, uh, like, like Gamzee, right, these characters exist on kind of these weird uh, two-dimensional axes, and sort of, like, um, bouncing back and forth between them is something, is, like, what generates the sense of character. Um, and so finally this ends up with his arc culminating, right? Uh, we, we're big in fandom. We talk about arcs, uh, with him, uh, that people point out on the form spring, uh, Equius is the strongest troll. Why doesn't he just like deck Gamzee? And mm -hmm. as, uh, Hussey says, like he, it doesn't matter how physically strong he is, like his investment in the, the caste system is such that he cannot overcome his own like commitment to it. Mm -hmm. So the way he thinks about the world, yes, is preventing him from overcoming something. Uh huh. That's interesting and fascinating. Yeah, and it, it's it's gross, right? It's weird. Um, in in the sense that like 
Equius gets off on being murdered. <laughs> uh, yep. And uh, people are like, hey, this is some this is some interesting content to be having in, in my uh, RSS feed. Uh, like, where's all this fucked up shit coming from? You know, that plus Gamzee's murders and the self-mutilation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really uh, visually accelerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hussey says, you know, I've I've always done uh, uh, fucked up shit. Right. F.U.S. as as it gets put on the the form spring. Um, it's just been in other projects. And so they uh, point back to what I've already mentioned, like all like Equius's weird, like furry fetish, like uh, uh, mm-hmm. crushing art. Like are all things that Hussey like has an internet history with has like assembled and done kind of these uh, reviews with them and everything. Um, here they say on Formspring, I hope at this point people realize that when you punched your Homestuck ticket or really anything I've worked on, you were signing up for something that runs the risk of getting pretty fucked up. Uh, practically everything I've done outside of the confines of MSPA has been considerably more bizarre, and this is true. Um, uh, like, but you know that. There is uh, this thing happening where Hussey is, you know, justifying the inclusion of these elements by reference to their previous work, um, which I think, mm-hmm. again, is is sort of fine if you're like an author who is building a platform or an aesthetic, right? Any any author, you can like, go check out Just King Things. <laughs> yes. Right? Where we are reading the books of Stephen King in publication order and kind of over the course of reading all of Stephen King's books, you get a pretty good idea of like, what are what are Steve's preoccupations? What are his ideas about the world? What are the things that he thinks are interesting or worth talking about? Um, you know, that, that happens. Um, Hussey is kind of like aware of that and like instrumentalizes it in such a way where all of their work is referencing previous work and like the previous work existing like justifies the inclusion of those elements in new work right like that's kind of the argument that gets presented uh that this mm-hmm. is how equius uh was designed from the beginning uh equius is explicitly called by uh hussy um like the the embodiment or encapsulation of my fascination with all of the all of the weird grotesque furry art that i uh talk about mm-hmm. which which hussy is very selective of to find you know what would be the most uh socially distant right the mm-hmm. most out- outre mm-hmm. <laughs> right um uh you know uh furry art around these like muscular horses and things like that you know there there's a leeriness to it and because that's like the strange thing here right there's another way of reading the statement which is that i uh, Hussein, yes i'm going to include these things because look in the past i've been kind of a leering um rude person mm-hmm. about like wizards and horses and all this other stuff and i'm going to include other things that i have created myself very interesting also that like little cal doesn't show up in that mm-hmm. at least in what you said right mm-hmm. like there's also some like very strange racial humor going on in the background of hussy but that's not it doesn't seem like being evoked in the same way as like mm-hmm. muscly murders and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah no little cal is a uh, very rarely spoken of so <laughs> What a mystical sentence that yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> Little Cal is very rarely spoken of. Uh, but, like but stock footage apparent. of the sun rising behind the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Evil mm-hmm. clown power. Yep, evil clown power. So we don't really know other than the murders. We don't really know what's going on there. 
Yeah, I, there, there's going to be some more stuff going on, but yeah, G- Gamzee has, has basically lost it, and you can go back to Gamzee's intro page back during Hive Bent, where mm. it's mentioned that, like, oh yeah, you you eat these silver slime pies because it quells like the uh, the the mm. uh, horrifying like murder nightmares uh, that your species and or cast is specifically predisposed toward, right? Oh, interesting. So uh, yeah, and it's similar with Kanaya, who gets to come back as a vampire. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, John, I, I just want to get this out of the way. John's looking for his dad. He gets in a flying car. Uh-huh. And beeps around in a flying car. That's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the end. Right? Here's like, here's my like lighthearted version of, a, of a, an extremely memorable thing from Harry Potter. Oh, you know, I was actually thinking Back to the Future 3. Oh. Mm. But yeah, yep. similar deal. Yeah. It's all kind of a, it's all a flying car. Yeah, uh, John does that uh, really. And, you know, we're getting more of a sense of like John looking for his dad is more of a thing now, which, of course, means that his dad is going to die. <laughs> of course. Right. We're, the, the kids are getting character development, right? It's all about uh, you. You thought that there weren't going to be uh, character arcs and heroes journeys here now. Well, guess what? Your your uh, your heroes can die, right? Even dads. Even dads can die. Even dads. This is, of course, like a parallel to what happens in Hivebent, where all of the uh, the Lucy die, all of the animal guardians of, of the trolls. And that, of course, uh, spins out from the loss of the white horse Artax in the never-ending story. Oh, well, at least you can't talk. Yeah, a thing that we did not mention on that bonus episode is that in the movie uh, of the never ending story, the horse, when Artax drowns in the Swamp of Sorrows, like Artax is just a horse in the book. Artax can talk and it is nightmarish. (laughs) I'm dying. Yes. I'm dying. Yes. That's he's like, Atreyu, I'm too depressed. I'm going (laughs) to drown. You have to leave, Atreyu. I'm dying. Yeah. And the horse is like, don't look at me when I die. Yes. And that's in the first 30 pages of that book or something. Yes. It's in the very beginning. Whew. Uh-huh. Wild stuff. R.I.P. R.I.P. to Artax. Yeah. So emotions are getting hot here, I think, within the story, right? We've got murder. Mm. We've got, like, loss of, of, of uh, parental figures. Uh, all sorts of things. <laughs> but really, uh, not that much happens in mm-hmm. this, like, th- this part episode. I mean, as far as, like, content is concerned, right? Because there is uh, that. There's some murders that happen. We get, this is where we get the murder investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I mean, we can if you want to. I just find it so boring, and uh, I I don't know. Like, it's the it's what we've talked about a bunch of times, right? Like, it's the it's a deflationary move. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, heightened, height, we're going up heights, heights, heights. People are getting murdered, big, 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 big deal. And then, like, a long joke about... Terezi doing a murder investigation mm-hmm. and then like heightened, heightened, heightened. And then like a long stuff about John's flying car. Mm-hmm. Although I really do like it's on 3461. If you're following along at home where we get the slow zoom when, when he's like killing uh Nepeta. Oh yes. We got like zoom honk, 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 honk. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that transition from Gamzee to John in the car. 
<laughs> yeah, where, where WV ran it into a tree. It's like the only tree around. Yes. There's like a bunch of trees in the background, but there's like one tree in the middle of nothing. And they ran it right into that. Also like John's dad's wallet, which is like full of like shaving cream. And all kinds of random garbage. Dad is such I a funny character. Dad's great. I wish, da- I wish dad wasn't murdered at the end of this. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe we'll come back in hero mode. Yeah, maybe. Um, you want to talk about John and Vriska and, and the emotional manipulation station? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that. Um, I mean, what what, are, what is your thoughts? You just named it the the emotional manipulation station. Yeah, it's just like Vriska. What Vriska does to John, which is mm-hmm. like emotionally manipulate John. Mm-hmm. And I think we're supposed to take some of it as authentic at this point. Like, it really is, like, Vriska laying it out there. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Vriska's a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. She's a big old liar. Mm-hmm. And so, like, who can know one way or the other? And, uh, you know, the art is selling it, right? This is like, what, 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 uh, 3468. The image on top of this is, like, straight up. Uh, like oh. Tumblr, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I've seen this photograph, right? Like this is just like I'm I'm feeling artsy in 2011. Yeah, yeah. Briska photographing myself. Yeah, like cross-legged with her hands behind her back, like sitting on the ground. Just clearly, like the the idea here is she's just like talking to John in the uh, book commentary. Uh, Hussey calls this like emo Briska art. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and that's why I was asking you, I mean, this has come way more kind of sharply into perspective, I think, right? Of like, what, I think at some point I've asked you, right, is Vriska a scene girl? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes. Yes. <laughs> like, wherever she started, right, where, where she, you know, fl- flannel and pants. By this point, it's like, yes, 100%. She's like very particularly... Uh, uh, like this, the the Pokemon evolution of <laughs> you know a scene girl, yeah, of and uh, like a rar rawr rawr girl, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know, like I don't, I don't. Uh, you tell me, like, where's the fan community on Vriska right now? I f- I think you were telling me a little bit about this earlier. People have been, uh you know, arguing about Vriska and like, does she like, uh, uh, deserve comeuppance and blah, 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 blah. This is a moment where, uh, people begin to be like, Oh damn, Vriska's having character development. Vriska's having character growth. I actually kind of like Vriska now. I just thought she was, you know, a piece of crap before, but I'm starting to, to feel, uh, you know, bad for her, uh, and sort of understand why she why she feels about the world that the the way she feels about it. Interestingly enough, there's not a lot of what you just said of people being like, "Is this just more manipulation?" People are taking this as is pretty genuine. In fact, there's a um, this is an interesting sort of just historical note in the uh thread. There's a frequent poster who has stopped posting for a while, comes back just before this moment. Um, and says like, Hey, like I'm back in like announces themselves, which I think is an interesting move is like, Hey, I took time off the comic because, uh, after Tavros was killed, um, like, uh, I started feeling bad. Like there was some sort of like emotional, like turmoil that was happening there. And it's like, now I'm back. Uh, I'm like feeling side of kind of more grounded. And then kind of this stuff starts hitting. And it turns out Vriska is this person's favorite character. So, uh, there's a lot of like, uh, 
overlap happening between like reader and object here where like emotions are being like pulled out and sort of like examined and communicated with people right uh, uh we're like we've got kind of this uh, uh an effective community that's kind of forming or rather like uh, it's already formed right but um we're seeing some sort of like i don't know activation of it uh like People are just, like, sitting around feeling sad for this character who is feeling sad for herself. And in doing that, um, that character is becoming, like, more complex for the reader, right? Because Mm -hmm. she, like, this is a Vriska who has, again, sort of shifted modes, right? This is is Vriska who is no longer, like, or rather... We can now read all of Riska up to this point uh, as what we've kind of known or suspected, which is that she puts on a good front, right? She performs mm-hmm. a certain type of person that she wants to be um, and often is, but nevertheless seems to like harbor doubts about who she's chosen to be or like uh, the world that made her what she is and like whether or not it was like sort of a just thing right and actually what she is doing in this conversation is is the opposite she's saying maybe I wasn't enough of an asshole (laughs) yeah yeah well it's also interesting too that like uh, there's a willingness to take the comic at its word here Mm -hmm. but like we know that Vriska is a manipulator right we know that Vriska is rude we know that Vriska is someone who will say one thing and then do the opposite Mm -hmm. right these are all like confirmed Mm -hmm. canonical uh what is interesting about that is like I have I have seen you know uh, spoilery discussions about Vriska right Mm -hmm. that that have happened since the introduction of of Vriska uh that haven't like spoiled any of the comic right but are just conversations of it and i'm now realizing that i'm reading people just repeating what vriska says about herself yes because these are also things people were saying about vriska before she said them these are all conversations that have happened in the thread where people have been like back during early days of vriska chat oh you have to look at it this way she's from another culture it's obviously different here's how this society seems to work uh she Mm -hmm. she fed kids to her mom well she had to because that's how society is set up right yeah so there's this weird thing where like the double thing is happening right like on one hand uh, like the fan discourse is getting wrapped into the character, but then what the character says about themselves is being just kind of flatly taken as true. And again, like the four, I, I, I know that I'm hammering on this in like every part episode, but this is melodrama, mm-hmm. right? Like the feelings are at the surface that, you know, the, my, 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 uh, you know, the feelings of the Southern bell about uh, her family are just flatly true. It, you know, I, it's hard to just recommend the film because it's very difficult. There's a very um, truly awful to watch scene of sexual assault in it. So you get, you have to be very aware of it. But if you want to know like how melodrama works in its most stark and uh, surfacely presented form, uh, David Lynch's wild at heart mm-hmm. is like the, you know, the most extreme form of melodrama because people will like talk on the phone and like openly cry. Right. There's mm-hmm. all of this kind of, you know, so there's like a heavy set of content warnings. You really have to, to, to go into wild at heart knowing about. And I think even knowing those things, it's still a difficult film to watch uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but you know, that to me is like the apex of what melodrama does. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, like uh Bobby crying all the time in uh, no, not Bobby. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, in Twin Peaks? Yeah, in Twin Peaks. 
uh, the biker. Oh, James. The biker guy. James. Yeah. James crying all the time, right? That's the heart of melodrama, or the mm-hmm. height of melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but anyway, that's all to say, right? So it's really interesting to see these kind of, as you're saying, these fan discourses kind of run into this heightened form and produce like a character that, yeah, is like telling us all their thoughts and feelings, but I don't read that kind of uh, straightforwardly as development or growth. I just read that as like what melodrama does. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear you say that like that's just kind of broadly taken as character development or growth or change or arc, mm-hmm. arcification. Because mm-hmm. uh, to me, it's just like moving through some stations of like what a melodrama does. This is more genre convention to me than it is character development. Mm-hmm. And those are different uh, in my mind. And this is what I think is one of like the most genius aspects of Homestuck is that uh, because of the way that this story was told, and this is, you know, tapping on uh, what what I said in the last part episode about like what I'm trying to do about forcing this thing back into history is to show you exactly how this thing generates such uh, strong attachments from readers, because here's what happened. Uh, readers see a thing, they speculate, they come up with some ideas about how these characters work and how they feel about their world, some time passes, uh, and then suddenly those characters start repeating those talking points back to the reader about themselves. And, uh... This could be because, like, Andrew Hussey read the forums and saw all those, like, explanations and justifications of uh, Riska and was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to lean into that. Or this was something Andrew Hussey wanted to do from the beginning. And, like, this is how this is how you would do this if you were going to write it this way. Right. Uh, The mechanism is obscure, uh, but the ultimate sort of consequence is that you have an idea about the world, and then that idea suddenly seems to become, like, materially instanced in the text that you're reading, right? My ideas have shown up in the story. They're such good ideas that the characters are having them themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So... I mean, I don't know, like, that's why, like, the the genius move there, right, is that, like, you could just, like, tell the story you wanted to tell, and as long as uh, you're sort of laying down clues as to how things are going to develop, there are always going to be readers who are going to be able to put things together and understand the trajectory of where things were going, right? Like, this is how you make Vriska uh, seem, like, more sympathetic, you underscore kind of the conditions of her existence that would make her act in the way that she acts. And again, this is all made up. Yes. <laughs> I just think that's important mm-hmm. <laughs> to like <laughs> to hold on to all the time, right? Like because it becomes really easy and because Homestuck's good at it, right? Like as a work, it's really good at this. Uh here's all the things around everything that make this seem like a logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. But again, literally anyone can do anything <laughs> you're like you can write anything into the the thing itself you were not constrained by whatever did before whatever happened before in fact we get all kinds of instances in homestuck where people are not constrained by what happened before mm-hmm. you know all of these dramatic reversals and things like that so um you know uh it's very easy to be like well frisco is just you know the end result of a big math equation of like inputs and outputs and well not really Anyway, this is just a a thing to think about as we move forward is like, how how is this kind of move with Vriska 
um, generating a kind of effective community, right? People who are coming together to, like, feel things about this character who is explaining the things that she is feeling, like... Uh, a lot of people, like, again, a lot of people talking about feelings, and this is very different from what was happening in early Homestuck, where people were like little uh, game sprites being pushed around on a board or on a screen, right? Um, there, there's a lot of like opening up here, a lot of kind of emotional vulnerability, or at least the performance of it. Um, a lot of like, uh, hey, we're young people on the internet, and like, let's become friends by just, you know, talking to each other constantly about how much our lives suck, right? That's the other mm -hmm. thing that's happening here. The other thing that this John Vriska conversation kind of parallels um, is these kind of like young uh, friendships, right? Uh, young online mediated friendships. So anyway, Kanai is a vampire. Kanai is a vampire. Kicking crotches. <laughs> yep. Uh, this is another thing that uh, if you go back to Kanaya's uh, introductory page, one of the things that gets flagged for her there that is maybe not as even legible now um, is that she loves to read supernatural romance because this is kind of uh, at the peak of like Twilight mania, Edward and Bella mm -hmm. and Jacob, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there are all these kind of references to the fact that Kanaya loves to read romance novels about like supernatural entities like rainbow drinkers, which is immediately sort of uh, unpackable as the Alternian version of a vampire. As you've already always said, Alternia oh. is opposite world. So uh, mm -hmm. vampires come out during the day because trolls are nocturnal. Uh, and they're dr rainbow drinkers because they, they drink everyone's blood, right? They, they take all the hemo spectrum into them. And, uh, for whatever reason, probably because of like weird troll biology stuff, Kanaya is a vampire and can come back to life. Cool. Yep. Uh, sweet. And this is what I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what I was referencing when people were like, hey, are you like what's going on with Kanaya being kind of this openly queer character? And now she's dead. Mm -hmm. And Hussey's like, you know, just just wait, like just give it some time. Mm -hmm. um, this was like a clear kind of move to to like, I, I don't know, to sort of seemingly take her out, but then kind of have her come back with a cool new power, I guess. It's it's fine. I. I I don't understand why she's able to kick Gamesy in the in the crotch. Um, wait, she kicked Gamesy or she kicked Aridin? She kicks Aridin. No, no, no. She kicks Gamesy. She slices oh, Aridin okay. in half with a chainsaw. That's right. After that, mm -hmm. sorry, I was just getting my my who murders whom mm -hmm. um uh, confused. Honk, <laughs> honks him right out of his shoes. Yeah. Um. A really interesting thing uh, in terms of, like, historical fandom stuff, up until this point, the big running theory for people reading along is that uh, the the scratch and everything, remember John, John told mm -hmm. Karkat, see you soon, um, that the end game of all of this was for the kids to escape to the trolls session so they could finally take out Jack Moore. And at mm -hmm. this point, uh, the theory like flips over on itself to where it's like, oh, OK, what's going to happen is the trolls are going to escape from their session to get away from all of the ones that are now murdering them in order to join forces with the kids. And uh, mm. I just think I think that's funny, right? Like, it's always fun to think about uh, <laughs> like how uh, there's a projected version of the story for kind of like the contemporary readership and then the way that it shifts. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's fun to go back and remember like what this story, like what we thought this story was before it turned out to be the thing that it was.
Yeah, remember when the story was about some kooky kids building a tower in The Sims? <laughs> yeah, now we're like, oh my god, Aridin's dead. Does that mean he's going to become Skipper Plumthroat? What, what the hell is Skipper Plumthroat? Well, okay, here's the thing, Cameron. You know the Squiddles? Yeah. Okay, so the Squiddles uh, appear in the comic as kind of like cutesy little cartoon versions of the horror terrors, the big Lovecraftian entities uh-huh. that live outside the game session. Correct. Okay. Um, uh, Hussey has said in like Formspring responses that like the squiddles are kind of like a, a, a almost like species memory, right? Or like a pre-memory, like an echo, right? On some level, humanity knows that these creatures exist. Um, the squiddles thing, like squiddles became its own little like sub joke within the Homestuck fandom. They got like there was like a squiddles album that got released uh, and it had like a little original animation with it. And the squiddles had like a, a like a whole backstory, right? The squiddles are like fun little squid creatures that love to be friends. They want to be tangle buddies. Um, but there's a, a their enemy is this devious captain named Skipper Plumthroat who wants to kill the squiddles. So. Uh, we know that the horror terrors are being massacred. That's a thing that Dave and Rose have talked about. Something is killing the horror terrors. So uh, whatever might be killing the horror terrors would be Skipper Plumthroat, uh, or like an analog of him. Here we have this nautical-themed guy who uh, loves to kill things. This is uh, also where we get the thing where um, Aridin's planet had like uh, uh, kind of weird creatures on it called angels that are of uh, unclear kind of provenance or, or aim at this point. Um, but there was some sort of animal, right, uh, or thing, entity, angels on his planet that he just, like, spent the entire game murdering, uh, even though it was, mm-hmm. like, and as all the other uh, trolls say, like, you're not supposed to be doing this. Like, it's clear that you're, like, killing NPCs that are not supposed <laughs> to be hostile to you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he just is like, no, no, they just keep attacking me. And it's like, yeah, because you've aggroed all of them. <laughs> um, But so, yeah, now the question is like, oh, now that Aridin is dead, is he going to end up in the dream bubbles? And is he going to start killing uh, the horror terrors? Is he Skipper Plumthroat? Wow. Right. Uh, what do you think about this afterlife, by the way? Every time we talk about this this web comic, it feels like my brain catches on fire. <laughs> and like not in a good way. Yeah. Not in the like I'm reading really hard French theory from the seventies way. <laughs> like like I cannot believe this exists. <laughs> <laughs> How many human hours have been put toward this? Mm-hmm. Um well, one, let me say one thing about uh, Kanaya doing all these murders oh, before okay. we talk about the afterlife. Uh, the deal with it gift panel? Yes. Do people have a sense of that anymore? I don't know. So what happens if you haven't read along uh, is 3538, yeah. by the way. Page 3538. After, so uh, uh, Gamzee is killing various people and taking trophies from their bodies, right? He's wearing like Nepeta's hat. He's wearing Equius's glasses. Um, uh, Kanaya runs up, kicks Gamzee off the and kicks him in the crotch and he goes flying off the 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 ledge uh his sunglasses fly up into the air uh in that moment kanaya whips around pulls out her lipstick which has object duality just like in problem sleuth and she saws eridan in half uh and then uh the we get this like long panel of uh equius's sunglasses dropping bit by bit until they land on kanaya's face which is an old meme that I don't even know where it started, but it was huge on something awful. 
Um, and everyone in the Something Awful thread is like all about this, where uh, you just had a regular smiley face and then a pair of sunglasses would drop down onto it and it would say, deal with it. Mm-hmm. It would go on that uh, that little dog. Yes, there was a little dog emoticon, uh, the weird, there, goofy looking dog. There, Yeah, there was a little dog emoticon that had deal with it. There was a little frog that had deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it comes from uh Matt Fury. Oh, okay. Of Pepe fame. Oh, interesting. Infamy. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. He didn't want Pepe to be. Yeah. You know, uh, appropriated by. That is very right. interesting. Wow, Homestuck. But yeah, so um, yeah, so I'm looking at on knowyourmeme.com, which mm-hmm. is actually fairly dependable for many of these things. Mm-hmm. And um, in the mid-late 2005, Matt Fury, creator of Feels Good Man, posted a webcomic on MySpace using the phrase. So it's, uh, it's I've seen this comic a bunch of times. Uh, a guy's doing yoga and someone farts in his face. Oh, yeah. And says, deal with it. Right? I did not realize that was the origin point. That is the origin point, apparently. On something awful, the catchphrase is often used in the web forums uh, and is where the, quote, smug dog <laughs> animated GIF <laughs> uh originated but the date it was added is currently unknown i remember it was a maybe before this time it was probably like 2009 yeah 2010. yeah 10 uh i was reading the forums a lot when smug dog appeared uh on june of 2010 animated gifts with dropping sunglasses were popularized on the media sharing website dump.fm which promoted <laughs> a deal with it gift contest one month prior uh, a site producer cited the something awful dog image as the inspiration for the gift series in an interview with know your meme so explicitly is coming from this dog on the forums pre-2010 fascinating there you go yeah smug dog smug dog's great (laughs) here let me show it to you yes i mean i know you know what it is but the yeah i'll put smug dog on on the tumblr i forgot to mention this last time when i mentioned the art uh i'm i'm collating all fan art at uh homestuck made this fan art.tumblr.com god i oh good old smug dog i love you (laughs) smug dog is great looking we gotta bring him back (laughs) yeah we gotta start using him all the time. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Smug Dog in the Discord. Yeah, <laughs> let's bring back Smug Dog. Yes, yeah, um, that's good. Good. Um, ad break time, but I already used up the the chainsaw gimmick, so we're just here now, I guess. Uh, if you're listening to this, awesome! Thanks so much for listening to our show. Uh, Homestuck Made This World is part of the like stable of podcasts from Ranged Touch. Uh, you can find out more about us and the shows we do if you go to rangetouch.com or twitter.com/rangetouch, uh, where we tend to keep running lists and post updates about all of the stuff that we're doing. Not just Homestuck Made This World, but just King Things, where we read the books of Stephen King in publication order, or Game Study Study Buddies, where we uh, read books of academic game studies uh, and make them accessible. Uh, this show would not exist without the support of listeners like you. It happened because you wanted it to happen. Uh, and if you want to, you want to continue to keep happening, to not stop from keeping happening, uh, head mm-hmm. on over to patreon.com slash range touch. Kick us a couple bucks. It helps us devote time to reading all of these comic pages. And for me to read uh, once more, again, another another time, I read another 170 pages of forum posts for this episode. For both, for like the episode that you just read or just listened to like two weeks ago, that was 170 pages. So was this one. This is how much forums I am reading. Uh, time is money, people. Uh, kick us a couple bucks, and I'll continue reading forum posts, maybe even more forum posts, and, uh, you'll get a little something extra in return. Little, little, uh, treats. 
Um, if you go for ten dollars, uh, you'll get the Homestuck Made This World bonus episodes where we talk about like intertexts with Homestuck or sort of Homestuckian paratexts. A lot uh, so far has just been things that have influenced Homestuck, like films and books that get referenced by Homestuck. But eventually, I'm going to get Cameron to read some uh, uh, good fan fiction with me. Um, I have some plans for that, so it's something that you can look forward to. Uh, you can also help us out by going to rangetouch.com/shop. Uh, we don't have any Homestuck designs there. But but we do have some other shirts that you can check out. Uh, and if money is not your thing, you can help us through word of mouth, telling people about this show, and uh, telling people you don't even know about this show by leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, there's a chance that Cameron himself might smile upon you and read your review to, to the adoring listener base. Uh, are you there, Cameron? Mm-hmm. I am. I got, I got three things to say. Okay. Number one. Uh, everyone, please note. Michael just said, "If money is not your thing," mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very funny to mm-hmm. me. To Michael, where do people send emails to if they have questions they want us to answer in the bonus odes, oh, which crap. we often do? That's a good idea. Uh, yeah, you can send questions uh, that we tend to answer in the bonus episodes, but we, you know, if if it's relevant, I might bring it up on the main show to uh, queryreceptacle at gmail dot com. I, that will be down in the episode description. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. add that to the episode yeah. description. Along with all of our fan art at homestuckmadethisfanart.tumblr.com. And uh, third, yes, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I will uh, check that out. And I'll read it. This is going to be a long one, so I'm going to get through it quickly. <clears throat> um, this is called, I, I, the the title gets cut off, so it's, it just says years in the future, but no. Okay. (laughs) This is from Dynamic Manifold in Camel Case, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Homestuckified. You put on your VR headset and jump into the metaverse as you do every morning. You pick up your virtual copy of The Gray Ladies and attempt to sip from your mug of coffee. You succeed in dousing yourself in only a moderate amount of scalding hot bean juice. You are getting much better at this. On the front page of your electronic newspaper, you read that Netflix has bought the holodrama adaptation rights to the webcomic Homestuck for the absolutely preposterous sum of 413 Bitcoin. Hoping to better understand this absurd maneuver of adaptational boondoggleitude, you have searched for a podcast which could not, which could explain not only what Homestuck is, but also the broader historical and social context in which the webcomic was made. Luckily, you have found Homestuck Made This World, in which hosts Michael and Cameron do precisely that. Listening will certainly be a delightful tour the iconic webcomic which will help you understand not only why netflix is adapting this media property but also but why it was in fact inevitable due to some temporal paradox shenanigans which for some reason involve an awful lot of slime who is john egbert where is the kingdom of purpo why do people like dave (laughs) what happens in the series finale of the hit alternian tv series troll friends (laughs) Some of these questions and more will be answered in, in hit something awful form recap podcast. Homestuck made this world. And great. <laughs> this is uh, from Harem Crux titled Nostalgia and interesting analysis. Great way to revisit Homestuck. N- no, uh, no grammatical mark. Oh, oh okay. No so the, the subject ran into the description. Nostalgia and. Yep. Okay. Cool. I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I can't see this thing. I'm. I'm. No. I'm. I'm saying. I guess interpretively. Oh. I don't know what to do with it. Okay. But yeah. So uh, two great reviews. If you want me to read your review, uh, and uh, you know, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say this uh, out loud. The funnier they are, the more likely they get read. <laughs> say that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts um, and wh- whatever platform you're on. If you're on, uh, say a platform that allows you to thumbs up, thumbs down, give us a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, yes, as Michael said, uh, anyone you can tell about this show to spread it via word of mouth is best. We don't spend any money on advertising or anything like that. Uh, you know, we don't we don't spread this around. We only move through you saying something about the show. So please tell people about the show. Um, I think it's probably fun to listen to, even if you don't know anything about Homestuck. Yeah. And at the very least, uh, you get to hear all of our clown thoughts. Honk. So, yeah, that that happens like a, a vintage meme. A vi- yeah, what now feels like an extremely vintage meme. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so this afterlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why? Why do we need more stuff? That's a really great question. I don't know if we're going to get a good answer. Uh, but here's the thing that I think is really interesting, um, and that I historically am starting to piece together here. Uh, I mentioned last time that we had this alternate Dave and alternate selves, like for because of time travel thing, uh, because of time travel things, or even just like because of the way the alpha timeline works, right? There is a story that is progressing, uh, a narrative, if you will, and it wow. uh, does not allow sort of divergences from it. The 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 things that diverge get killed. And here we learn through kind of the the revelation that this dead Dave is actually the alternative Dave, that um, these these uh, failed versions of these characters or or whatever, right? Uh, they don't stop existing. They continue to exist in kind of this strange afterlife. We can also think here of uh, the way that Terezi is explaining sort of like probability or causality during that that same discussion, right? Like a character has a, a point where they get to make a choice and their ideas determine their their outcome. Uh, and one of them is correct and one of them is incorrect. Uh, and the sense that we get of the afterlife is that all of these incorrect, like all of the all of the times that characters have been making incorrect choices or have had incorrect ideas, they have died and presumably ended up here in in the dream bubbles in the afterlife where there's not a lot going on other than uh, them walking around, talking to each other. Like, you know, we we've, we have that moment where the dead uh, Tavros shows up and you can tell characters are dead because their eyes are now white, right? They're like hollowed out. Mm, oh, like, or, like uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, because so we have like Aradia and Dave meet in Dave's apartment. And then as they sort of like are talking and walking around, they end up outside of Aradia's hive. So they go from like Earth to Alternia, right? These things just uh, are sort of like uh, uh, imaginatively like uh, bodied forth, right? Or it's almost it's like a surreal dream logic. All places and all times are kind of like being melded together. Um, and then we have dead Tavros who shows up. Um, and he like confesses his crush on Dave, uh, it, back during the Nepeta Equius little thing, you could find, uh, Nepeta's updated shipping wall that suggested she, she was seeing some, uh, red feelings, uh, between Tavros and Dave. Mm-hmm. So Tavros shows up, you know, recently murdered. Hey, first, okay, I think you're fantastic, which is to say just an enviably cool guy who I admire. Let's put that compliment on the table where we can both see it. And then Dave says, holy shit. Looks like I found another point in time to bother you when I guess you are more emotionally susceptible. Smiley face. <laughs> God. 
so like dead Tapros shows up to hit on Dave. Uh, and like what is sort of uh, clear to me is that uh, this is fandom being folded back into the comic. Right. This is this is AUs, right? Uh, the alternate yeah. universe. Like, what if the characters uh, didn't go on this adventure? What if they were cops instead? Uh, what if they were in the Old West? What if they uh, just stayed on Alternia but continued doing different things? All of those versions of these characters who failed um, get implicitly like pulled in here to the dream bubbles. Right. And in the thread, actually, the something awful thread, uh, uh, the poster uh, <laughs> uh, synth butt range. I, I need to credit you because I'm going to praise you here. Um, <laughs> uh, I also posted some of their fan art on the on the Tumblr. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, they had a really good carcat drawing that they did. Um, uh, but they uh, describe the 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 what's going on in the dream bubbles as a dream of a or uh yeah a dream of a memory right so a thing that happened that gets kind of reprocessed sort of post death and then and as it's being reprocessed can go in kind of whatever direction as the characters sort of like muddle about um and that is like what is that if not a really interesting way to think about what happens with fan work right where you have a memory of the thing that you read and then you sort of like dream it out in a different direction right you take kind of the first impression uh and then you start doing other things with it right you put your own spin on it you see what would happen if these characters weren't uh constrained by the necessitations of the plot which has given them initial existence yeah this is fascinating. This is fucking fascinating to me. Like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, because on the one hand, right, this is pretty cool because it shows uh, Hussey being aware of the fans and fan work. Um, and on the other hand, uh, this is a way for the story to recapture fan work. Does that end up happening? Uh, no, not necessarily. But like... Uh, one way of thinking about it is that before the introduction of these dream bubbles, um, uh, you know, all of there were the dream bubbles could have been anything. Anything could have been going on there. But as this uh, story continues forward, the dream bubbles are going to become subject to kind of more strictures or sort of like uh, more internal logics uh, that the story itself is kind of placing there. So obviously, like we should not say that the dream bubbles are explicitly fandom, right? But they're they're sort of mm -hmm. like an image of it, right? They're they're a way yeah. that uh, Homestuck is trying to. Here's the other way of looking at it. Now, when you're writing your Homestuck fan fiction, um, uh, the dream bubbles are a way to like incorporate or like the dream bubbles become a, a way of thinking about how uh, your fan work and how like the text itself like touch. Right. Like, yeah, it's it's omnivorous uh, canonicity. Yes. Yes. Right. It, it just kind of consumes. And uh, there. Yeah. Like the, the what you just said, you know, it's a way of conceiving of how they touch. It's a way of conceiving how you can pick and choose parts of the characters to be quote unquote true or not. Mm -hmm. And that is equally canonical as anything that shows up in the main comic, mm -hmm. because that's how the dream bubbles work. Mm -hmm. Thinking here again about Manovich in the database, right? The new media object is a series of interface, one or more interfaces uh, around a database of multimedia material uh, where people can uh, sort of like structure or choose some mode of interaction with that material. Uh, uh, well, something that's really important about this as well, right, uh, is this only benefits one party. Yes. Uh, your ability to create fan fiction has no 
it doesn't matter what the original work. Like my ability to write, you know, Spider-Man fan fiction or Riverdale fan fiction or, you know, whatever. Ren and Stimpy fan fiction. I don't know why I came up with that, but uh, <laughs> exists, you know, my man. ability to do, yeah, my ability to do uh, to do any of that has no relation. It doesn't depend on like Ren and Stimpy having uh, or Rocco's Modern Life. I'm, I'm just going back through, uh, you know, only '90s kids remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't matter if that's like if those works have a mechanism for recognizing how that works or not, right? But it is highly beneficial for something like Homestuck that's so dependent on connections to like prompt you this is yet another prompt it's it's another Uh suggestion box Uh right or a a, what do you call it a terminal um this is another way of soliciting input from readers Mm -hmm. that 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 uh supplements the major work itself right I, i mean it's who I impossible to know one way or the other whether this is purposeful, but the end result is that it's the end result is this kind of devious machine for solicitation. Yes. So yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, what do you think about the ancestors? Then speaking of like uh, the introduction of like little spurs for uh, alternative versions of characters or fan theorizations, or I mean what. I'll say it here, like this whole thing with the ancestors and like the weird, like bizarre, like Jacobean uh, history of of uh, uh, Alternia um, is just an AU that's been elevated to canonical status. I don't mean that necessarily literally like, uh, you know, you can make up this, but it's 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 like, what if these characters were adults in a completely different kind of uh, historical period and social context? Mm-hmm. Um. What I think about the ancestors is that this is literally just Watchmen again. Mm-hmm. This is the Tales of the Black Freighter, uh-huh. uh, and how Tales of the Black Freighter works inside of Watchmen, which is that the narration and content of this kind of alternate world or this other fictional story, or I mean, for them, it's history, right? Mm-hmm. But this story within a story is overlaid narratively on top of the visual events that occur in the the in the Watchmen comic itself and they kind of inter interpret one another right so mm-hmm. in Watchmen Tales from the Black Freighter which is the story that or story from a comic book that's being read by characters within Watchmen it is providing an interpretive lens through like a 19th century pirate's tale or maybe even 18th century pirate's tale mm-hmm. um via the thing and that's what happens here right and so reading that uh story structure informs the way you understand the current time stuff that's happening in Watchmen. Mm-hmm. The same thing's happening here. They're reading this like far past ancestor book of like pirate mystery mm-hmm. <laughs> violence. You know, it's like, it's like half a, uh, I don't know. It's like a, an exploitation novel in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's sexual slavery going on here. There's murders happening. People are being hunted across the high seas. Mm-hmm. There's all this weird stuff. I mean, it's troll society, right? So it's opposite world where all the good stuff is bad and all the bad stuff is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but that is happening and that is the narration for like other actions that are taking place. I believe those, the, that narration is taking place while, um, uh, let's see here, while Harry Potter, a combination of um, uh, Tinkerbell and the evil villainess from the never-ending story and a juggalo all fight one another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alan Moore, eat your heart out. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I, he he couldn't even try. <laughs> uh, uh, in much the same way that a uh, single Dorito would kill a 15th <laughs> century peasant, one panel of Homestuck would kill Alan Moore where he sat. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's really interesting because on the one hand it does give us uh like so this is part of like the 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 generative uh friction of of characterization right we we suddenly have this uh weird cool person that Vriska has spent her entire life comparing herself to mm-hmm. and Alan Moore right yes Alan Moore um <laughs> and she was just like i don't know enough about 19th century penny dreadfuls uh no so 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 Vriska has this kind of like uh weird ego ideal in Mindfang and so the the story works by showing us like how Vriska is similar and different and one of the first things that happens then is we see Mindfang use her uh mind control powers which Vriska also has to uh force a sex slave to like have sex with her and then fall in love with her, which is one, um, a, a big contrast to, uh, like what happened between Vriska and Tavros, right? Vriska obviously like was, uh, trying to like use her mind control to make Tavros fall in love with her and then gives up. So there's something there, right? Vriska and Vriska is seeing this as a failure that she was not ruthless enough or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. obviously this is critical, right? This is a bad thing. Uh, uh, like this is not saying that, uh, uh, you know, the mind thing did the right thing because we're supposed to, I think, understand Vriska as uh, misguided in, in her apprehension of this. It's still kind of a, a, a weird moment, and it's like one that the readers really comment on. Uh, that, In mm. fact, the first post that responds to this, and this was posted on Valentine's Day, by the way. Did you see that? No, I did not. Yeah. I, I was not paying that closely. I, I tend not to look at the actual dates. Yeah, so this was posted on Valentine's Day. Um, Lord in heaven. Yeah. I see. So, uh, uh, the first response in the thread is just, well, that was weird. (laughs) Um, and yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, it was. And if you're not reading along, the thing you need to know about Mindfang's journal is that it's like Rose's wizard fan fiction in that it is extremely like verbose and convoluted and can be hard to follow. Uh, and for Hussey, that appears to be part of the point, which by the way, Cameron, um, we didn't talk a lot about the complacency of the learned, which was Rose's wizard novel. Do you remember what that was about? <sighs> was it about Zazerpan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was about Zazerpan, uh, and his, his fellow wizards, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the learned, um, who yep. discovered that their uh, apprentices, 12 uh, young uh, wizards, had turned evil. Well, heck. Yeah. Uh, so so there's something there where, like, again, think of Alan Moore, where, like, the little story within the story, like, anticipates or foretells uh, or, or mirrors, like, a broader concern, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, 12 kids going to shit? Like, here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for Alan Moore, right, it's... Uh, he loves to do stories within stories within stories, right? Mm-hmm. And reinterpreting other stories, you know, to, to in various ways, some of which end up being kind of overwhelmingly offensive, uh, mm-hmm. some of which end up being kind of outside of, uh, I don't know, like acceptability for society. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's been censored several times, um, you know, for those exact reasons. Wherever you fall in all of that, I you know that I'm not interested in digging into that right now. But uh, 
constantly using these like different scales of storytelling, right? From cultural stories to all the way down to like narratives written by characters in stories, right? So imagine every scale in between that. But for him, it always is uh, interpreting, like each scale interprets every other layer, right? Mm-hmm. So like a character reading a story in a, in a comic of his, that story that is inside the story is going to tell you something about the broader structure of the thing. And sometimes that story is like an adaptation of a story from our world. And so then you have to think, well, what is that story inside the story saying about us? And then how does that kind of scale go back and forth? So for example, Tales of the Black Freighter is a story that is about like one person's revenge, uh, you know, narrative and how far they're willing to go. You know, he builds a raft out of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very much this like young boy's adventure story. That's like gross and disgusting or whatever. Right. But spoilers, uh, you know, in some ways, Watchmen is a, a comic book that is about someone building a life raft into the future out of dead bodies um, and being okay with that and thinking that is the only option forward, even though we know what happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, even though we know what the kind of stakes of that are. So, uh, yeah. So that's all to say that that's part and parcel of this kind of storytelling method, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we have that. Uh, and then we have like, the re- I understand that that is what's, what's happening. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. like the, the sudden introduction of like an actual like scene of uh, rape and sexual assault is kind of an escalation of things and much the way we've seen Mm -hmm. all of this murder being escalated and in the thread you know there are people who are genuinely upset at this having happened right um many of them kind of uh take a few days and then they're like okay i'm going to keep reading although that really left a sour taste in my mouth um the one thing that I think is interesting about this is that when Vriska, or yeah, when Vriska, uh, when uh, Mindfang uses her, her is using her mind control. Um, she talks about how she doesn't use her full power of mind control, right? She she allows uh, uh, the slave some uh, extra, like some some wiggle room, and then Mindfang uh, reflects on it like so: "I have masked the line between my puppeteering and her volition exquisitely, and her uncertainty over her own control fuels her fear." So this is where like Mindfang sees the "oh, now she's into it" kind of thing. Um, mm. This is, uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, there, there's clearly like there's a, a BDSM dynamic here, right? This could be a scene, uh, this idea of like discipline and like mind control and so on. Um, that's one thing. The other thing to think about is, uh, what do we do with this when we, uh, if we maybe, let me put it that way, if we consider how much that line about masking, uh, volition, like one's, uh, puppeteering with the other party's, uh, uh, volition, um, how much that that is how Andrew Hussey has kind of described what Homestuck is, right? About blurring mm-hmm. that line between author and character and reader, um, and, and what we've said before that like Hussey seems to regularly conceive of the author reader relationship as like abuse and control for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, this kind of like back and forth of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that there is a, um, uh, some sort of psychosexual politics that is being, uh, enlivened here right which is not me saying that 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 like what is happening in this fictional story 
is what is happening between Hussey and the audience. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I, you know, I don't want to be misinterpreted here. But I do think that, you know, in the same way that someone like Anthropy, in that, um, in, in quite a, well, let me even back it up further than that. In the way that many people from the past, th- th- this is also the problem with Homestuck, right? Is that, like, it encourages you to think about the thinnest part of, like, a pyramid mm-hmm. <laughs> of, like, relations, right? But we can go back to... Oh, gosh, like any post-1960s work on like sex and creative life um, to see this dynamic played out over and over again, right? Which is that there's this complicated social set of interactions between like self and world and sexual expressivity and uh, how much control one has over any of that. You know, the relinquishing of control over a piece of art is often linked to the relinquishing of the self, you know, the diaries of Anais Nin or mm-hmm. anything like that. You know, those things are kind of in the firmament of sexual writing after after the 60s. So, um, so that's all to say, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, this is a place where there's not a linear relationship. I, you know, I don't think that, like, this is Hussey reflecting on something that they've said or, or, or kind of working out narratively what the philosophy is here. But I think that there is this thing going on where a theme that keeps coming up over and over again is the relationship between how much control you have versus how much control someone else has over you. You know, a relationship of domination and subordination. And I think that Hussey seems to be interested in, broadly, across the, you know, the, the work that we've engaged with, what happens when uh, people have affective and emotional relationships to domination and subordination. Mm-hmm. And I think like everything else in this comic, it just gets scattershot for everything. So like it gets uh, narrativized and, and typified within this like Black Freighter-esque story, mm-hmm. you know, that with this heightened writing mode and all kinds of stuff. Um, it gets typified in the Equius death, mm-hmm. right? Like that's exactly what's going on mm-hmm. there as well. And it gets kind of uh, exemplified or, or emblemified in the way that Hussey talks about what is a piece of art which is a complex relationship of give and take of, of control and submission from lots of different people. And I don't think that these things are targeted, meaning I don't think that I don't believe that Hussey has like a commanding theory of this. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a theme or an affect or a concept that they have a hard time getting away from. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and again, that's not uncommon. That is a common thing that's happening in the history of arts in the 20th century. Um, you know, uh, Hussey's at the end of a long tunnel of thinking about these things. And I wouldn't say that very many of those people are heroic figures in the history of, of literary, um, work. Right. So, and a lot of them are like straight white dudes with a a stream of of real world abuse. I'm thinking here of like Henry Miller. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking here of, um, uh, gosh, um, uh, the guy who wrote the book about the male um, Bukowski. Sorry, okay. Couldn't, couldn't <laughs> get there, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's this novel that, that you know, other than the poetry. But Bukowski does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kerouac mm-hmm. makes very similar kinds of, of arguments, right? And and uh, plenty of women as well, right? But I think the, um, the big standard bearers for that in the 20th century were these kind of like expressive pornographic men mm-hmm. um, who are often expressing a domineering relationship over, you know, and often misogynistic, which I'm not associating associating with Hussey here. I'm just saying that the, the literary history here is kind of checkered in its politics. Um, 
when people are digging into these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, which is all to say, I don't know. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe we'll uh, read uh, Deleuze's book on masochism for one of the... <laughs> yes. uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, coldness and cruelty is the name of that for one of the bonus odes. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that this is an interesting kind of little constellation of things that are coming up over and over again. But unlike so many other things in here, you know, the Gnostic metaphysics of fiction um, or, uh, you know, the way that we're supposed to think about character development, I think those are very clearly set in stone. Mm-hmm. You know, those those have parameters uh, or even the rule set logic, right? Of like, here's the rules of the game. The, the game is played this way. Those are so clearly defined. I don't think that this kind of um, latent um, set of ideas about like command and control, I don't think that those are set in stone at all. I think that those are just kind of bubbling up. Well, in the author... Com- Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> in the author commentary, Hussey has this interesting note uh, where they're talking about... Um, how like obviously this story is told like piecemeal like uh bouncing back and forth over the timeline right we're constantly going mm-hmm. forward and backward in time and like filling in bits and and uh it's a huge mess and hussy has a a long note where they're explaining that they're they're tarantinoing around the the narrative mm-hmm. right yeah um uh but that's sort of beside the point what is it uh, interesting here um we've said this before that homestuck teaches you to read it uh hussy talks about how um, once you kind like, if you set these ground rules, like basically this might seem like a really weird way to tell a story. However, um, if you set these ground rules and kind of slowly escalate, uh, your readers because they, they, they like cotton onto it and they realize like, okay, here's where the timeline is. Oh, this person said this thing. So it must be at this point in the timeline. Uh, they start to like learn the language in, in one way of thinking about it. Um, and how Hussey mm. talks about this is <clears throat> in other words, by occurring so often, the nonlinear events start to feel inseparable from the narr- fabric of the narrative itself, rather than something distinct from it, which could be dispensed with. It basically opens the story up to do anything at once and it all pretty much works because the reader has been vigorously trained to accept it. Yeah, I you know the the work of all uh, fiction is to teach you how to read it. Yep, it's a disciplining function, and how uh, how that works is different from work to work. Yeah, and I I would agree with you. I don't think that like uh, this is a text that is abusing the reader, but I think uh, like one one idea to float here, and we can like sit with this as we uh, uh, in return to it as we continue through this story, um, is is Andrew Hussey's goal to make you it's like to teach you to read in such a way that makes you extremely suspicious of authors. And if so, mm. uh, what a beautifully self-defeating thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, I mean obviously I don't have all the tools to know, but I th- I think that is a an interesting question. Yeah. Uh because yeah, I mean I guess uh it, it if we read it in that way that every opportunity for someone to discipline someone else ultimately pans out in something kind of violent and horrible. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, that would be the self-defeating or, you know, the, the purpose, it would mean that the, the purpose of the work or one of the, the goals of the work is to undermine itself mm-hmm. broadly. Mm-hmm. And I got, I don't know. I got, uh, it sounds like I have like something like 6,000 more pages to read to find out yeah. if that happens or not. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. We should, we should probably uh, tie things up though with one uh, final note from me, at least an incredibly important historical note. Uh, Cameron, my little pony has happened. 
Cool. Yep. So uh, shout out to them. Yeah. So people people in the thread historically are like starting like we're seeing the Homestuck avatars switch over to My Little Pony avatars, and everyone's like, "What's going on with My Little Pony?" And now we're getting uh, mm. My Little Pony crossover art. Like, uh, you know, here's Carcat yelling at Tavros for hanging out with. Uh, uh, I don't know which one that is. Fluttershy. I'm going to guess. Um, and then of course, uh, who would who would love the ponies the most? But Equius here hanging out with with all of them. I don't like that at all. Yeah. So I I really don't like that. <laughs> so this is this is just like I guess something to to point out because I think this is another like fandom that uh bubbled up out of nowhere and got a lot of like mainstream eyes on it and also like uh vituperative uh condescension and like I don't know criticism is is you know the 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 weirder parts of the My Little Pony fandom. Um Well, it's it's kind of interesting that like the uh bronies mm-hmm. right as they as they became known that bronies kind of had like a whole cycle right of like oh you're big internet weirdos this is not my opinion that i'm stating i'm stating the cycle mm-hmm. right the broad opinion was look at these big weirdos who are largely adult men checking out these cartoons for little girls mm-hmm. uh oh they're mostly harmless and a lot of them are marginalized so like maybe this is just like a thing they enjoy right maybe we should like chill out about it let me make 15 documentaries about them. <laughs> Let them fade from existence. Right? I, 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 I don't think I've seen the word brony in the wild in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's interesting, there's like this full cycle of like that fandom being processed through a lot of different like discrete stations mm-hmm. of internet culture. I don't think that really happened for Homestuck. I think it was for Homestuck. It's still, hey, look at all these weirdos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's a lot of the people in the Homestuck fandom being like, look at all of us weirdos, right? Yes. I guess that was the thing was that within the My Little Pony fandom, there was a lot of voices from within that fandom being like, we're people. Quit making fun of us. We're just people. Mm-hmm. We just like this cartoon. And, uh, and I guess, too, right after that, there was a longer term movement to be like it is okay for adults to like cartoons for children Mm -hmm. like adventure time was a big part of that too yeah oh by the way adventure time comes up here where uh uh, people are sending questions into the form spring being like hey hussy do you watch adventure time i've heard people who do the art on adventure time are reading your comic and they're working in little references to it which is happening are there little references is that true i believe so yeah does harry potter show up and start murdering jake the dog yeah that's like one of the most famous things that happens in adventure time how could you not wow. know? Wow. I really do associate Adventure Time and Homestuck fandoms together. And I think that they're just like coexisting. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know why I think that. But um, Homes, uh, uh, Adventure Time really was a thing because, you know, I was one of the people, uh, you know, when that initial thing was created, the initial first episode, the pilot, oh God, and it yeah. was on the Internet for a long time. I remember time. being linked to that in IRC. <laughs> Yes, I was so into that for so many years, and I was so excited. I think it was maybe, I was in high school, Mm -hmm. maybe, Mm -hmm. when uh, Adventure Time came out. I was so excited for that to be turned into a show, and so disappointed when it was. (laughs) 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 Like, I was like, oh, wait, maybe this this is not for me, when it's longer than 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's like a plot to follow. Right. (laughs) I think I'm good. Wow, a real roller coaster ride for me, mm-hmm. circa two thousand seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any, uh, anything to offer on Cameron's final goof? I don't think so. Um, I don't think I have any. Uh, you know, you've sprung this final goof on me, <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, you know, this is not a final goof, but something I find interesting. We keep 
again, these are teens and tweens. Mm -hmm. Like, they're murdering each other. And this is like young adult normal stuff, right? Like, teens and tweens murder each other and young adult stuff. It's not that odd. It was quite strange to me when Vriska was talking to John, I think. It was like, I think that Suburb abducts people at the cusp of sexual maturity. Yeah. <laughs> There's some, like, really directness here that starts feeling very strange. Mm -hmm. um, or you can really feel, like, the difficulty of the initial setup uh, running into, like, what the thing is. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it's just, like, Hussey is, is bored or not interested or something with writing these, like, tweens and so has to age them up arbitrarily and yet is still constantly telling us hey it's only been a couple weeks mm -hmm. ha 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 remember but also you get this weird thing of they are they are uh, as old as they could ever be and as young as they could ever be at the same time because of time travel shenanigans mm -hmm. like they're within the setup of this comic we could we could like go to the next panel at any given moment and be just met with a bunch of adults mm -hmm. and that would be fine because of like all the time time shenanigans is that going to happen at some point did i just call another thing you're giggling over there michael's michael michael's mysterious chuckle. michael's michael's prankster's gambit here i'm just going yeah. to send you here's here's an illustration of that part where uh hold on how's this conversation go it's when carcat is telling equius to to go fight gamzy um mm -hmm. <laughs> do you remember this uh yes uh uh and yeah so he's like um he's like you're strong go do yeah it. and uh <laughs> equius says i certainly appreciate the debauchery inherent in receiving an order of such gravity from a rogue-blooded foul mouth but i'm not entirely positive i can raise a hand to the high blood it wouldn't be my place Carcat says, oh my god, why do you have to be so difficult in all the most fucked up ways possible you're getting off on this aren't you uh if you ask me for a towel, I'm going to flip my shit right off this fucking meteor. It will just be me spinning and spinning and spinning into endless nothing, screaming. Uh, here's a here's a fun little animated uh, gif from the thread of someone uh, showing us Carcat spinning through space, screaming forever. <laughs> oh, Carcat, you little scam. Mm -hmm. Look at him go. Yep. And he's sweet bro in hell, Jeff. Yeah, he is. It, it just keeps happening. Also, here's here's another gif that someone made to illustrate Nepeta's death. Not graphically, mind you, allegorically. <laughs> it's Nepeta <laughs> doing like a really cool flip in the air and like face planting into an open grave. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> that's good stuff. So, yeah, that's that's Homestuck Made This World. And that's it for episode five of Homestuck Made This World. Uh, next time, we will continue uh, with a new episode, episode six, that will continue the act that we're already reading, act five, act two, which is not over yet. Uh, we will be reading up until page uh, 3,763. Cool. I got my copy of Horse People in the mail. <laughs> Horse People got no reason to live. Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna do uh, Common People. <laughs> I wanna you want to live like, like Equine People? <laughs> you know what? I uh, I really don't like the William Shatner version of that. Yeah. You can put this in the end of the episode. Just a little bonus for people. I don't like the William Shatner version of Pulp's Common People. 
Okay. I think that it, I think that it, you, because he's not a common person. No. It's inauthentic to me. It's like if uh uh Frank Sinatra was saying it. I would say <laughs> no. No to me. Yeah. Pulp, maybe they're common people. Mhm. But for Shatner it's just like a spoken word performance. Yes. Hmm. I want to live like horse people. <laughs> okay. Time for the show. 